Life has tested us, there's no doubt. I have gone through every possible emotion over the course of the past five months. Uh, I, I, I don't know about you, but I have felt anger. I have felt fear. I have felt sadness. I have felt frustration. I've even felt a little bit of joy from time to time. Uh, I, I, I have felt every form of emotion imagined. There have been times that I have thought about exit strategies. How do I get off this crazy bus only to realize that every bus around me is crazy right now and the world is kind of crazy right now. And I've kind of, I've, I've struggled with the fear factor of, you know, what's going to happen next and how's this going to pan out and what will be in the future? What will the new normal be? And then there are times that I turn around, I have all kinds of faith and excitement about it, that God's in control and the future's unknown, but we get to chart the course. And so I have gone through every emotion imagined. I have glimpses of brilliance when I've had ideas that have come out of me that out of nowhere and innovation that's, that's, that's welled up inside of me that has excited me. And I've had lingering clouds of darkness where I've doubted and had skepticism. All within a matter of seconds, a flip of the finger, that's literally the emotional roller coaster I found myself on. And a lot of people have. It's been a stressful season. Uh, there is record numbers of stress and difficulties out there. And I tell you, one of the things that's been difficult is the social distancing, the stay in place, the Stay six feet apart. I'm a hugger. Stay six feet apart. Don't touch people. Don't shake people's hands. There's so much about this world that seems to be more and more isolating us. And we're either locked down with people that sometimes we get tired of being with, to be frank with you. In fact, in Great Britain, I've read, I heard just this past week that since COVID, that there has been a 40% increase in the initial paperwork filing for divorce. And that's in the UK. So just think about that. In five months, 40% increase because we're stressed to the hill. It's like we're a ticking time bomb, just waiting for something to, to push our button. Another reason is because we're isolated from one another. So it's not only that we're with people, the same people all the time, but sometimes it's because we're without some of the people that we want to be with. And that's hard for us because what that does is we find ourselves becoming more and more distant from one another. And I was reading from a great medical doctor who's also a psychiatrist. Great combination. You got somebody who's caring for your soul and caring for your body all at the same time. And to top it off, Kurt Thompson is a Christian. Reading from some of his research just this past week when I was on vacation. And he said, he talked about relational disintegration and the danger of relational disintegration. Don't want that. He said this, in order for us to flourish, in order for us to flourish in life, we need to be able to connect with others. What COVID-19 has done is caused us, forced us, isolated ourselves so that there is relational disintegration happening and we don't even know what to call it. My friends, we can't have that. As, as much as it is that the virus may kill us from the outside in, so relational disintegration will kill us from the inside out. We need one another. 
So let me say to you, Grace Point friends and family, we are coming back together as Grace Point Church, and we are coming back on a regular basis. Starting with this next Sunday, we are starting back. We went for a whole month. We didn't see a single person who attended our gathering. Report of a COVID case. Loved it. Our social distancing, our hygiene, our mask up, all of our things are working. We want to continue that. Governor Asa Hutchison has affirmed that 98% of those churches who practice good social distancing, good hygiene, have not experienced COVID. So we want to continue that. So we're going to start back this next Sunday and then every other Sunday through August. And then in September, we'll be back on every Sunday. So there's a lot ahead but next sunday if you're planning on attending with us we need to know that we need to we need to be ready for you next to have the seats that are ready and cleaned for you so if you'll text relaunch to nine seven triple zero we'll make sure there's a space clean and ready for you when you come mask up sanitize early and often pick your band i'm still wearing my prayer band pick your band and then keep a razorbacks link between between each other. And that will help us practice good social distancing. Let's go to James. James is where we've been now for several months. Talking about reimagining life post-COVID. Reimagining the church, reimagining our lives, reimagining the future. How can we intentionally get into this? If you remember, James starts in James chapter 1 with talking about suffering and calls us to choose our attitude. You choose joy in the midst of suffering. We're in the last chapter of James, in the last verses. This week, he tells us to choose our posture. We're going to choose our posture, and our posture is prayer. We make it through with a right attitude. We make it through life with a right posture. When we have an attitude of dependence upon God, then we can make it through life and reimagine a better tomorrow. That's not just a bill of goods. What James does is he calls this dispersed church, calls them together in prayer, and in six verses, packed, six densely packed verses, he gives us more in how to pray, in 11 verbs that he gives us, more in how to pray than any other passage that I know in Scripture. So buckle up, open your Bibles, James chapter 5, verse 13, follow along as we get into this. But let me ask you before we jump in, how's your prayer life? How much time, think about it, I'm going to pause, how much time have you spent in prayer since COVID? How much time have you spent, did you increase your prayer life or decrease your prayer life or to stay the same? What would you say? Answer that in your head. You don't have to answer that out loud. But here's what I think. I think a lot of people struggle with prayer because they don't have the discipline of prayer. And I think they have a hard time with the discipline of prayer because they lack the confidence in prayer. So it's the whole how-to and is it effective and, and, and am, I, am I really accomplishing anything with it? When, 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 you, when you look at our lives and we're not practicing it, then we're having probably a hard time praying. Whenever you look at your life and you average everything on out, if you live to be 70 years of age, and hopefully you'll live longer than that, what, what, how much time do you spend praying? Well, here's a couple of numbers for you if you're just the average American out there. You'll spend about 23 years of those 70 years sleeping. Can you imagine? Six years you'll spend traveling. 
17 years you'll spend working, six years eating. I might eat seven to eight years of that. So six years the average person, nine years watching TV, six years on social media. How did I get to that number? Because the average person spends about two hours a day on social media. Scrolling, thumbing through, liking, not liking, forwarding, whatever, sending out articles, videos, whatever, posting memes, the whole nine yards. Two hours a day, you multiply that out by 70 years, there you have it. You'll spend six years in social media. John Piper said it so well. He said, one of the great issues or the great uses of Twitter and Facebook is that it will prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not for a lack of time. No, we spent a lot of our time on social media. Six years resting, two years dressing, and one year going to church. But how much time will you spend in prayer? Newsweek did a poll a number of years ago asking people how much time you spend in prayer, how many people pray on a regular basis. 57% of them pray every day. Then they ask those same people, of those who pray every day, how much time do you spend in prayer? And the average person spent five minutes in prayer. So you begin multiply that out, and you're going to spend not years. You're going to spend days, 89 days in prayer compared to six years in social media, compared to nine years in watching television, compared to six years eating. So let's just think about it for a moment. Are we really people who believe in prayer? We can take prayer anywhere. We can pray for anyone. We can pack it. We can walk with it. We can talk with it. We can sleep with it. We can do prayer anytime, anywhere for anyone. Prayer not only changes our world, but it changes us in the world. It does a work on us as it does a work through us. Every time we pray, our horizon is altered, our attitude of things are altered, and not sometimes, but every time, Oswald Chambers said. I want us to just unpack the impact of prayer life. If you have a life of prayer, what would that look like, feel like in your life? So let's talk about three ways that prayer impacts our life. The first one is prayer adapts to whatever season you're in. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't matter what you're in. January 1st, 2018, I can still remember my time with the Lord that morning. It was the first of the year, New Year's resolution, all that kind of stuff, thinking ahead, dreaming ahead. God led me to Deuteronomy 11. 11. I can still remember it. This is what that verse says. The land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys. Now, I didn't know if to be happy or to be sad. Uh, God, if you'd have said that you're going to just go to mountaintop after mountaintop, vista after vista, then I would probably have been happy. But he says you're going to go to a land with hills and valleys. Sometimes you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death even. And that's really hard times. But here's the cool thing. Prayer walks with you no matter what you're in. No matter what season you're in, no matter if you're on a mountaintop or you're in a valley. In verse 13 and verse 14, he basically runs the gamut. He says, if you're having a great day, praise. If you're having a bad day, 
petition God. And if you're sick, call on others. So and literally he covers the whole gamut. He says in verse 13, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praises. If anyone among you is sick, let him. Notice this. Every time he says, if this is your condition, if this is your season, if this is your hill, or if this is your valley, what are you going to do? You're to let us. He gives us what to do. So it's very applicable. So let's look at these three seasons that he gives us. One is the season of suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? What are we to do? We're to pray. We're to petition. We're to take our request to the Father. He tells us in James, in James I said in the beginning, he opens with suffering and he ends with suffering. James is a very practical book. And one of the practicalities of the book is that he just deals with real life. Life sometimes stinks. Life sometimes is incredibly hard. And the Bible doesn't promise that if you become a follower of Jesus, it's all going to get easy. In fact, the Bible says it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. But here's the cool thing. When you're a just person walking with God, you have something that the unjust person doesn't have. You have the in your arsenal the arsenal of prayer that you can take and pull out at any time. So when he starts the book of James, he tells us, to count it all joy when you encounter various kinds of trials. James chapter 1, verse 2. Go back and reread it. So he tells you, choose your attitude. Count it all joy. I know it's not perfect, but count it all joy. And at the James chapter 5, the last thing he says is choose your posture. Choose your attitude. Choose your posture. What's your posture? Your posture is prayer. When choosing a posture of prayer, what does that mean? I mean, it's kind of an awkward statement. It's literally living in a lifestyle of praying. It doesn't mean I go over in the corner and I sit down for hours and hours. I've been practicing something for several months that I am absolutely, it is, it is, it is giving me all kinds of renewed strength in, in, in my life. And that is what I'm calling breath prayers. Literally just praying simple sentences. Whether I get up in the middle of the day and walk away from my desk or I walk outside for a breath of fresh air or the stress is becoming so great or I can't sleep at night and I'm laying awake in bed tossing and turning, I have learned breathe deep in, exhale slow. Breathe deep in. When I breathe in, I say a prayer and when I breathe out, I say a prayer. And I'm literally quoting scripture when I'm doing it. So I know I'm praying in authority. I know I'm praying accurate with scripture. I know I'm not having to create something from scratch. And I literally, like right now, I'm I'm praying Psalm 23. Psalm 23 verse 1 just says it like this. Just the first phrase. The Lord is my shepherd and I just inhale as long as I can. The Lord is my shepherd and I hold it and I think about it. How is he the shepherd of my life? Is he, is he not a shepherd in an area of my life? And then I exhale, I shall not want. And then I do it again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I don't do it fast, I do it slow. And I let those words sink in. Try a breath prayer. Then I go, sometimes I keep going. I says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Think about that. He leads me beside the still waters. As you pray the scriptures, you pray with authority. Practice breath prayer. If you're feeling stressed and overburdened, if you're feeling like there's lots of pain and suffering in your life right now, try 
breath prayer. This next week, let me know. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Hills or valleys, it doesn't matter where I am. I'm praising God. Sing, let him sing praises to God. This phrase is only used three times in the New Testament. Josephus used it of a person who had a courageous heart. I like that. A courageous person is a person who praises God. I can tell you this. On July 12th, when we came back after 125 days of not worshiping together as a church family, we had one of the smallest groups of people ever in our worship center. And yet it felt so full. Because everyone who came, came ready to worship. That's what you'll experience this next Sunday, I pray, if you come ready to worship, praising God, letting your heart out, raising your hands, clapping your hands, expressing your worship to God. If you're cheerful, the scripture says, let's sing praises. It's literally a call to worship. If you're sick, what does he call us to do? Intercede. There are two kinds of sickness. Sometimes we bring on our sickness and then sometimes our sickness is brought on us. The World Health Organization has said 70% of the illnesses that are out in our world today, 70% of them are called lifestyle related. Think about that. We bring them on ourselves because of what we eat, how we eat, because of our drinking or smoking or our, our, the way we live, the lack of rest and we should have, whatever it is, we, because of the lifestyles we live, we bring on sicknesses. The only thing we can do about that is change our lifestyles. But then there's sometimes the sickness is brought on us. Sometimes we didn't ask for that cancer. We didn't do anything to earn that cancer. It came to us. What do you do with that? He calls us to pray. He says, if anyone among you is sick, let him, but notice this, he doesn't call us to do it alone. He calls us to do it in community. Let him call on the elders of the church. Let them pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. He tells us exactly what to do. There's a process to follow. If you are sick, here's what you are to do. You are to enlist others to pray with you. Call on the elders. If you know one of our pastors and you're in pain and you're not calling on them, listen, you aren't doing what God told you to do. Listen, we want to pray with you. We want to connect you. We don't have some direct line to God that you don't have, so we're not going to know if you don't tell us. If you'll text GPC Connect to 97000 and connect with one of our pastors, tell us how we can pray with you. In the next 24 hours, one of our pastors will reach out to you. But he also says, not only calling the elders, he also says, anoint him with oil. Now, there's been a lot of debate over the years of what is this oil? Is it a symbol, a symbol of the Holy Spirit? Could be. Is it a medicinal oil? Could be. I like to say yes to both. I think it is trusting the medicine. It is trusting Jesus as he uses medicine. It, it does have medicinal values. In Mark chapter 6, verse 13, in Luke chapter 10, verse 34, there are two other times in scripture where oil is used and it's used in a medicinal form. 
So in the Gospels, it's used in a medicinal manner. So maybe that James is saying, hey, listen, whenever you're sick, call on the elders, take your meds, okay? Take your meds, call on the elders, and I believe it could also represent the Holy Spirit. You're asking God to intercede and be a part of that healing process in your life. In fact, next Sunday, we're going to look at Luke whenever the Good Samaritan uh, literally applies oil to the person who he picks up off the side of the road and he applies oil to them. In our Love Better series that we kick off next Sunday, be thinking about that. How is it that the oil is used in that medicinal purposes? I say it like this. Here's a life principle. Pray as if it all depends on God, but work as if it all depends on you. So take your medicine, but trust in Jesus. That's a good good rule of thumb. Number three, though, And that is the trusting in Jesus for healing. Notice this. He said, whenever you are sick, call on the elders, let them pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. I do believe in miracles. I'm trusting in Jesus. Jesus will do what Jesus wants to do. I'm not trusting in miracles. That makes an idol of miracles. I am trusting in Jesus. I believe He can heal. I believe He can do what He can do. And He will do what He can do. In fact, studies have been done in all manner of institutions. The National Institute of Health, John Hopkins, Georgetown University, Duke University, Dartmouth Medical Center, University of Miami. Study after study has been done. And I I have them all listed here and I don't have time to go through them all. Of literally people, thousands of people whose their healing process was made better because they'd involved prayer in their healing process. Prayer, healing go hand in hand. But I'll say this, it's not prayer to the atmosphere. It's not prayer to an unknown God. It's prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Because there is one mediator, the Bible says in 1 Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, and it is the man Christ Jesus. And if, you, if you're not praying to Jesus, I don't know who you're praying to. If you're not trusting in Jesus, I don't know who you're trusting in. But there is one person standing between us and the Father, and that is Jesus. If you know Jesus today, then you have a mediator to the Father. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus today, there's nothing more I can beg with you, encourage you to do than this, than to give yourself to following Jesus. Text, again, GPC Connect to 97000. One of our pastors will reach out to you. So how does prayer impact you? Well, one, it goes with you whatever season you're in. If you're suffering, you petition God. If you're having great days and things are all up and to the right, you praise God. And what do you do if you're sick? You intercede or you know somebody who's sick. You intercede to God. You bring it. So it doesn't matter whatever season of life you're in, there is a prayer that will walk with you in that season. So what season are you in? How are you praying? Because you cannot not pray in any season of your life. The second way that prayer impacts our life, is that it walks us and binds us together. It goes with us and it keeps us together. And I mean that because what 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 uh, what James has done in his school of prayer, if you will, is he's taught us 
that prayer is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. It is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. Notice that what he said is if you're sick, you call on people to pray for you. What he's going to do here in verse 15 and 16, he's going to point out that if you even find yourself in sick because of your sin, then you again, you confess your sins to one another. Verse 15 says it like this. He says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up if he has committed sins. So literally, you can be sick because of the sins of our lives. And what this is why we cannot have relational, disintegr- uh, relational disintegration. You heard me talk about that in the beginning. We need each other because I need you and you need me and I need you to be praying for me and I need to be praying for you and I need to be bringing myself fully to you and you need to be bringing yourself fully to me and anybody else that's in your one another family. Because in verse 16, One of the most powerful verses, I think, in all of James is when he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Yes, you're going to confess them to God, but notice what he says also. You're confessing your sins to one another and to pray for one another. Fifty-eight times in the New Testament, he calls one another's, one another's. Encourage one another, love one another, pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. What did I say earlier? Sometimes our sickness happens to us, but sometimes we bring our sickness on us. And one of the ways we get the sickness off of us is by getting free from the bondage of sin. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So God calls us not to an individual sport, but to a team sport, a one another brothers and sister kind of prayer life. That's what prayer is supposed to be. COVID-19 is creating relational disintegration where we're isolated, where we're staying at home, where we aren't connecting, and it's isolating us into a dangerous posture. That's why if you're a member of Grace Point Church, you have probably had multiple phone calls from our pastoral team where they had no other agenda but to call you and pray for you. And if you haven't, something fell through the cracks, would you please reach out to me? Let me know. No pastor's ever called me. I want to call you and I want to pray for you. And one of our other pastors wants to call you and wants to pray for you because we want to walk with one another during this season. I use this prayer band. I have only taken it off once for family photos last weekend. I've worn it ever since July 12th. It is my reminder to pray for the Grace Point family. It is my social distancing uh, band, but it is my reminder to pray for the Grace Point family. So, what is it that we get? We get to have a prayer that goes with us through any season. We have prayer that binds us together with one another. But also, prayer does something else. It empowers the ordinary to do the extraordinary. We're kicking off a series next week called Love Better. 
because we need to learn how to love better. Not just feel love, but do love. How do you do love better? And the subtitle is Extraordinary Times Call for Extraordinary Love. So, Again, this whole idea of an extraordinary, where does this extraordinary person come from? Where does this extraordinary love come from? Well, it comes from ordinary people. When God does extraordinary things through them in his empowering, incredible kind of way. Let me, let me, let's just read verse 16 where it says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power at is, as it is working. Where's the power? Is it in the righteous person? Or is it in the prayer? Well, knowing that our righteousness comes from God, it's nothing in myself, but it's in myself yielded fully to Him. And whenever I yield myself fully to Him, He does extraordinary things. He uses the example of Elijah, Old Testament character who was an incredible prophet of God, probably in the top three or four of the prophets of the Old Testament that everyone admired. And so he's certainly an extraordinary individual, but he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect in any stretch of the imagination. He went through bouts of self-pity. He went through bouts of anger. He went through same struggle with the same temptations like we did. And that's what James says in verse 17. So the extraordinary element of Elijah's life wasn't Elijah. Because it says in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a person just like ours, just like us. And he prayed fervently. So the link between extraordinary and ordinary is prayer. A person who is leaning in, depending on God. And not a person who does it weak need, half-hearted, part-way, part-time but a person who prays fervently because he prayed fervently that it would not pray and it did not uh, that it would not rain and it did not rain for 3 years and 6 months on the earth and he prayed again and the heavens opened up and the earth bore its fruit he was a nature just like ours so what what is the what is the baseline what is the ground floor that god does extraordinary things through people is it in the person no He was a simple person with nature just like ours. It's in that person given to God in prayer through the seasons of life, through the trials of life, surrendered fervent in their prayer life. Prayer is profoundly simple, yet simply profound. When I can think of, I cannot think of any other thing that is just me using my heart and my words, speaking to my God. And yet God of the universe, God of time and outer space, God who created it all, sustains it all by his mouth and his, by his own word, yet that God, through the mediator of Jesus Christ, will hear in heaven in all eternity and hear my prayer as I pray it and respond in a matter of a split second. That is extraordinary power. But where's the power? Is it in me? No. It is in prayer connected to Jesus going to the Father. So my friends, how do we do this? How do we make it through COVID-19? How do we make it through the seasons of life? How do we make it through the hills and the valleys? We're going to do it through prayer. 
Whatever season you're in, you pray. Whatever you're facing, you don't do it alone. You connect yourself with others. You bind your hearts together with others and you pray together. And then how does God do it? He does it when a normal, ordinary people just commit themselves to prayer. He does extraordinary things to them. So we want to pray together. We're, we're, we're kind of flipping the service today to call us to prayer. And we've asked Nathan and Tyler to come and, and to lead us in a time of prayer. And so would you join with us in petition, in praise? Would you join with us in intercession? Would you join with us in confession? And would you do it with a fervent heart as we pray together and we expect and anticipate God to do extraordinary things through ordinary people praying to him, an extraordinary God?